Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. George Kirianis has over 25 years of emerging technology and sustainable solution sales, marketing and business development leadership experience at Fortune 100 firms and high-tech startup. George currently leads Panasonic City Now Business in North America. He previously held leadership positions at Schneider Electric, Lockheed Martin, AT&T, and several high-tech startups. He also co-founded a grassroots nonprofit organization developing a sustainable national energy policy and was elected as a town councilman and served on an ICBM launch crew in the U.S. Air Force. George has also authored a book on the new ISO 37120 standard for smart city indicators, is restoring a hundred-year-old opera house to lead gold, and has an MBA from Case Western Reserve University, a BA from the University of Dayton, and is a lead accelerated professional. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite, George. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. We're so excited to have you with us today. Tell us more about your current position with CityNow. Certainly. I lead our CityNow business here. We're based in Denver, and uh, it really is Panasonic's smart city business unit in North America. And we focus on providing integrated solutions to cities, utilities, departments of transportation, and large private developers, generally collection of those stakeholders that are looking to accomplish uh, what we call transformational results. So not building the same old kind of buildings or development or introducing technology in a city for technology's sake, but but really truly trying to do something that uh, largely doesn't exist in the market today. That's the honor and privilege of my current position at Panasonic. Well, it, it truly is amazing because you are helping people completely think outside side of the norm. I mean, transformational results that nobody can define up front and ultimately get to takes a pretty incredible process and people like yourself to really help cities understand how they get there. How do you get people there? Great question. Great question, Lori. We're a technology and a solutions company. And yet, when we meet with prospects, whether they're cities or private developers, we always, without fail, lead with stakeholder alignment. Stakeholder alignment, process, process, process. And that's important because once you have the senior stakeholders aligned, then optimizing the business models becomes much easier. And then out of those business models, whether they're sole source or public-private partnerships or RFPs, then comes the projects. A lot of vendors in this space have it backwards And they want to lead with their shiny stuff, and it's all about their stuff. And from our perspective, the shiny stuff always, always comes last. Well, not that we don't, not that we don't have great shiny stuff. It's, but it's about the process that aligns the stakeholders. And vendors in our space don't talk like that. Consultants can talk like that, but consultants can't then help implement the project. So that's really how we fit into the market. Well, and I love that because quite often what happens is that, you know, that shiny star, that shiny stuff gets put into the middle of the table and everyone is aligning and thinking around that item, that that thing, instead of 
as you've defined, thinking about ultimately what we can do to transform that thing before we even see it. Uh, it that is the challenge, right? Smart cities is, is it, honestly, it means something different to everyone. It's, it's a bit like smart grid when that term first emerged. Uh, no one really knew what it meant, and now it's just the grid. So it's no longer this smart grid. And so helping uh, not only team members and partners, but really your customers understand what that means and articulate and define what that means for them is a real value. They know it's important. They don't quite know how to define it. They know they need to be at that party. They don't know how to get there. Well, what a cool position for you to hold after all these big, you know, Lockheed Martin, AT&T, you know, all these great companies that you've worked with. Very, very exciting. So you and I had the pleasure of meeting last summer. One of the things that really resonated me when, when we were talking about leadership was the fact that you truly navigate leadership in five class rapids. <laughs> Talk to us uh, about what leadership qualities you feel are necessary to succeed in today's business climate. Certainly. And my career has largely been based in emerging technology, complex mission critical systems. And as such, emerging technology by its nature is around the corner. It's not in plain sight. And so it's more than instinct and it's much more than data alone, market data alone. So it really comes down to not only how have I been able to look around the corner in terms of emerging technology to help my customers understand what it is and how to apply it, but the real impact is how do, how do I build my team's abilities to collectively look around that corner because it, it's not about me. It's never about me. It's about how do we as a team take this product or service concept that is very loosely defined. No one knew they needed an iPhone before they saw it. Right. It's a good example. So how do you, how do you have the vision to be able to, and in many cases, you're tying together multiple disciplines. It's not just an incremental improvement within one industry or one technology. It's tying together hardware and software from multiple disciplines to make that breakthrough. And, and again, it's, it's how do you, navigating class five rapids in a dense fog is the analogy I use in that team because only if you're operating as one in that boat, do you avoid the rocks, quite well, honestly. And, and I think that's so enlightening because ultimately people are trying to achieve great things with great people that truly make an impact. But the team at the end of the day is the most important aspect of ultimately getting there. How have you integrated your teams, getting everyone on the same page and, and singing from the same songbook? I would say that it is a journey, not a destination. It starts with clear vision. That, that the team members can both understand and embrace so that it, it's clear enough that team members that come to our team don't come for the money. They don't come for themselves. They come to be part of this bigger vision that we're creating. That's what motivates them. And that's what I look for in team members. And so 
it starts with having that clear vision. It builds on being a servant leader. From my perspective, my personal philosophy is that I exist as a leader to make my team members successful. Nice. I love that. And, you know, understanding people's vision can be a very, very difficult thing from an interviewing process. Can you provide us any tips on how you ultimately know whether or not someone you're going to be hiring has that big vision that you're looking for? Well, they will have had... Um, similar experiences, not directly always directly relevant, but similar experiences of making something from either nothing or from ambiguity, in particular, you know, how have you navigated ambiguity and uncertainty? That's something I always ask candidates to describe. And it doesn't have to be in tech. It could be how have you done this with your son's Boy Scout camp? Doesn't really matter, right? It's do you do you embrace ambiguity? Because if you don't, then these emerging technologies, these cutting edge solutions, you know, it, it's not an incremental improvement over existing stuff. It is really thinking outside the box and being able to deliver it. So I look for that similar experience and more than anything, I look for how well they resonate with the vision and the opportunity to be part of something bigger. Right. And understanding that it can be bigger. Now you... uh... And, and, And can only be bigger with people like them as long as they are, as long as they want to be part of something bigger. Right. You are an incredible speaker. We met at Longmont Startup Week, um, and you spoke on a panel, which is a great marketing approach, um, not only for uh, City Now to get the message out, but also for you, from a personal branding standpoint, to position yourself as a subject matter expert. Two great marketing approaches. Can you talk more about some of the marketing of the organization and what you've done to create brand awareness or increase awareness about a concept that is not necessarily easy to grasp? Well, I would say that at an organizational level, it it is both easy and hard to create buzz in this space. It's easy because it's so sexy and people are drawn to it because it's one of the next big things and they don't really know what it is. And so they want to learn more. It's challenging because it doesn't exist. Right. (laughs) And so defining it and, and defining what we're doing in a way that is not technology-focused. It is never about the technology. It's always about the, the user, the customer benefits, humanizing these solutions. And that's really what has slowed down. That's one of the things that has slowed down the adoption of smart city technologies is for the first many years, it was led by vendors who just wanted to sell shiny stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a challenge. And so Really, you have to evangelize broadly among in the industry. Your early customers will always be your best salespeople because other customers, no one is going to convince uh, the next city that they should work with, uh, with that they should work with Panasonic or any vendor more so than the mayor of a city you're already working with. Absolutely. Can you give us one of those great examples, a city that you've deployed this with and and maybe uh, what has really worked well and perhaps some of the challenges that you experienced along the way? Oh, certainly. So our technology and operations center were based here in Denver. We planted our flag in Denver in 2016. And as a result, we are the city and county of Denver's smart and sustainable technology partner. We're the state's 
partner, especially on the Department of Transportation side, Excel Energy, which is the local investor-owned utility, Denver International Airport. We came, we chose Denver because of the alignment that we could achieve with all of these critical and impactful stakeholders. And so by coming here to Denver, we have, um, you know, honestly, the city and the, and the governor, they, they were happy to have a Panasonic flag. Uh, in nice. in Denver, right? Yeah. That that that's that's a big win. A couple hundred jobs. That's a big win, and and I'm paraphrasing here, and and so I don't mean this literally, but I, I you know to a degree they were happy to have Panasonic as the brand, and that smart city stuff, whatever whatever that means, super, yeah, go go do it, right? <laughs> I mean, nobody even even Panasonic didn't know what it meant in 14 when we were negotiating and, and striking the deal, and then we opened our building here in 16. As a result, in the last 18, 20 months since we've been open, we have wildly exceeded every stakeholder's expectations. We have just blown the doors off in terms of really transformational projects. We've got the state's first connected vehicle full-scale deployment, the state's first grid-type microgrid, the state's first smart street lights, and, and on and on and on. And so, as a result, the you know, we are, we're, as I said, we're the city's um, strategic technology partner. There's no daylight between us. The the Den, uh, Denver has a Metro Mayor's Caucus of, of all the regional mayors. They happen to have one of their meetings out here at our facility. We anchor a 400-acre transit-oriented development where we're also the smart and sustainable general contractor. So right. we're tasked with innovating continuously in this wonderful development. And so they had, in September, we hosted the Denver Metro Mayor's Caucus. There's a couple dozen mayors uh, coming together, and we talked about all of the smart city elements of from energy to mobility to, to built environment to smart streets, public safety, things like that. And we did it instructional way where we presented industry issues for five minutes, and then a representative from one of the cities would talk for 15, 20 minutes about what it meant to them. And then we had 10 or 15 minutes of free-flowing Q&A. And, you know, over the course of three hours, we moved through a lot of information at a very high level in a format that those mayors never would have had before and never had discussed at that level together before. And so that's just an example of how, you know, leading with the mayor of Denver, we were able to extend that to many, uh, several dozen mayors in the metro region. And, you know, we will we will expand that. Uh, I'll be careful what I say here. Um, <laughs> we we will uh, we will expand that to even many many more mayors who are drawn here because of what Denver is doing. We we get visitors all the time from cities who come to Denver and want to hear about the Denver miracle. And we're part of that miracle with some of the coolest projects, as a, you know, in addition to that. And so we, we get a steady stream of visitors from across the country who are either drawn to what we're doing in smart cities or drawn to the miracle that Denver is pulling off that includes smart cities. Well, and of course, the minute they land at DIA, they're able to experience some of that right then and there, which has been a strong move on your part as well. So at the end of the day, what is the benefit of a smart city program to any municipality out there? They operate more efficiently, so they save money. They provide better services to their citizens, so they're more responsive, and they are able to bridge 
the digital uh, and social uh, equity divides in their communities. That's a, that, that is almost always a concern. There's, there's always underserved communities. And, and a smart city is, it's not about the city leadership. It's not about smart infrastructure. It's about providing your services in ways that your citizens really resonate with, however that is, right? It's making your, because cities exist to serve citizens. Well, they do. I mean, you create that proud, you know, that pride factor, if you will. I mean, it's really cool to walk through DIA and um, see the new hotel there that you had so much to do with. Um, it's really cool to drive down Pena Boulevard and see these infrastructures um, and, and want to be able to go there when families come into town because you're proud, because it's cool, because it's innovative, because it's different, because it's progressive. And, and it's, it's, it's exciting to be a part of something like that. Hey, Hey, Lori, have you flown out of uh, DIA recently? Uh, two weeks ago, yes. So you saw the uh, LED welcome sign? Yes. On Pena. Yes. So this, this is a quarter-mile-long, $11 million P3 pro- public-private partnership between uh, Panasonic and Denver International Airport. And, and for you or any of the podcast listeners who fly in or out of Denver, particularly in the early evening, uh, going forward, this quarter mile long welcome sign is spectacular. It is the it is the typical kind of iconic project that the city was you know even not even hoping we would do. Right? They didn't. They, we didn't come here to build them a sign. It just came out of our our collaboration together. And now the airport has one of the ten largest digital signs in the world. Not that they cared about that. What they cared about was an iconic. Uh, welcome sign reflective of the 58 million passengers who come through DIA every year and reflective of what Denver, the city, stood for. And, I mean, it replaced a a static sign that was maybe 15 feet across, 8 feet tall, you know, didn't even even say welcome. It just said Denver International Airport. (laughs) And and now, now we have, now they have this incredible digital welcome sign that that is just jaw-dropping when you see it. It really is. And, you know, in the world of marketing, we refer to that as something experiential, something um, that you've never seen before because it's going to increase memorability, right? And it differentiates you from so many other iconic venues, um, you know, that that we interact with each and every day, which really, really uh, says a lot. I love this discussion because it takes what we do every day from a marketing standpoint, and it moves it to a technology um, arena for ultimately um, people to embrace differences um, that ultimately raise awareness for a brand that's already so strong or a brand that ultimately, you know, in this case, cities, a brand or a DIA or a brand that just needs a little bit of shove uh, to, to stay ahead of the game. I, I love uh, this discussion and where you are going to be taking this. It, it truly is amazing. Talk about success for the organization. And you use the analogy of looking around the corner, so I can't... Um, um, imagine knowing that there's so many corners yet that you're still going to look around you, that you'd feel like good even at you know answering that kind of question regarding success because you're always looking forward, right? Indeed. Now, one definition of success is really what we have done at, at Pena Station next here in Denver. Right. This, this innovation district, this living lab 
being able to continuously innovate for our stakeholders is is a spectacular instance of success. But it's it, I don't want to say it's never enough because that really leads to dissonance because you never quite get there. But at least speaking personally, I have this insatiable uh, need to keep pushing the boundaries to see where we can improve, to see what else we can deliver value to our customers and partners in. And so success is, is going to be measured uh, in increments along the way. Again, it's a journey, not a destination. And I would say some, particularly with our real estate developers where where we're either building a 75-acre next-generation movie studio with, with a developer or a 7,500-acre master plan development down in Florida or a prefab micro-unit uh, single building, right? I mean, these are some of our uh, real estate development partners. All of these development partners are implementing just really mind-blowingly cool uh, solutions. And the challenge is really that if you're familiar with real estate development is on its own timeline. I'll just be polite and put it that way. <laughs> it takes years it and is. years to go vertical and, and especially to fill a large development. And so as uh, these proof points will really become uh, demonstrable as these real estate developments get built out over the next three to five to 10 years, where customers can come and see something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Today, these exist in plans and PowerPoint, and we need people, other than Pena Station, right? We need right. people to come and see real facilities with crazy integrated levels of technology, but never, ever for technology's sake, always for that human-centric design of how can we create a, a more compelling user experience, whether that is in a commercial building for an office worker or in a apartment or a condo for a resident. Right. You know, I, as, as you're explaining this to me, I'm having an epiphany regarding, you know, just let's take work environment for a minute. Culture is such a big thing right now with ev on, on the mind of every business owner, CEO out there. Uh, it's developing a positive culture that ultimately creates longevity with their employees. Well, along with that culture is the four walls, you know, around... Or, you know, or that, that surround it. It's the technology that helps people get their job done um, in some situations more quickly or more efficient, efficiently. So you've got an incredible culture message that you can ultimately deploy when you are talking about a lot of this because the cool factor is definitely very, very important part of culture. Can you comment on that? In terms of how do we continue and grow that culture internally? Well, just the fact that by utilizing your sort of thought process and developing these sort of um, stations and these sort of buildings, um, it creates an environment for people to get their job done in that is very, very unlike other environments out there, which oh, creates a, a much better culture. Ab absolutely. Because uh, at the end of the day, real estate developers and cities are all competing for the same thing. Cities are trying to lure the next business to come to that city. Real estate or, or residents and real estate developers are looking for the next business to come to their piece of dirt instead of somebody else's piece of dirt. And so they're all competing for companies and residents. And by creating, at a city level, by creating a higher quality of life, 
in a broadly integrated fashion or as a private developer creating a building or a uh, district or a community that offers that higher level of integration, a higher quality of life, better better work-life balance, better uh, access to amenities, whatever it is, that's what helps make the cities and the private developers successful in that they're able to more effectively lure jobs and residents to their development or to their city because they're creating this superior experience, whether you're a worker or a tenant or a visitor. It's all about what you do with the work or with the dirt rather. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So what one strategy or process have you implemented that if CEOs and their teams could consistently apply every day would result in big wins for them? Well, it is, uh, I would say that it is about taking calculated risk and um, that is, uh, I guess that's like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. Some some organization leadership is, is more comfortable with a higher risk tolerance and some are not. So I guess it, it is relative, but only by taking calculated risks and failing fast, from my experience, are you able to push into these new boundaries? Um, you know, in, in mature industries and, and well-established product lines, those are, I wouldn't call those calculated risks. So, you know, that's just incremental improvement. But to try to really break into new markets and to really capture new opportunities, you have to embrace that risk and not be overly fearful. It doesn't mean you don't have milestones in place and that in that it's a gated investment level, but you've got to, you, if you don't swing for the fences, you're never going to hit a home run. Yeah, I like it. So what do you want to be known for? I want to be known ultimately and personally, I want to be known for creating highly resilient communities in in North America. Um, Whether or not you agree that climate change is is man-made or man-contributed, I think that the the increase in extreme weather events uh, continues to put more and more people at risk where they live and where they work. And by building sustainability and resiliency into these communities, not only can we make uh, people's everyday lives better, but when things turn disastrous, then we can mitigate the impact of that flood or fire or whatever it is, that severe event, because the infrastructure has been designed in to be more resilient. And so, people's lives are just somewhat less impacted by these extreme events. Well, I tell you, George Karyanis, you said it. Emerging technology is around the corner, not always in sight. It's all about how you are looking around your corner. Thank you so much for appearing on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Lori, thank you very much. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.